to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Justin Steele, the head of Americas at Google.org. Justin, thank you so much for taking the time. It's great to be here with you. I'm really excited that your team reached out to uh, help people understand a little bit better about uh, your role, what Google.org is doing. Um, but I think in many conversations that I've had on this podcast, we've had to sort of introduce, you know, what is that resource? Who is this company? Most of us know who Google is. So can you <laughs> help us with the context of what is Google.org? Yeah, for sure. So Google.org is Google's philanthropy. We give over $250 million a year to cash uh, grants to nonprofits around the globe. And I think what's really unique about Google.org is it was created when the company went public. Um, I know a lot of people are familiar with the 111 model of people, product, and equity. But I think what's unique about Google.org is there was also a commitment to set aside 1% of ongoing net profit for cash grants to charity. And so uh, we benefit uh, internally as Google.org from that 1% commitment. And we're responsible for delivering a significant portion of that 1% uh, out to nonprofits. And we really see our role as leveraging all of the best of Google, the resources, the products, the, the talent that exists here to help solve complex human challenges. So the resources of Google are, you know, very impressive, but they're also pretty specific to uh, the the type of work that you in, what you learn from, and how that can leverage into innovation in a broader sector. So, uh, mm -hmm. as as you talk about of all of the range of things that Google could be helping in, how do you? Well, let me back that conversation up and, and ask one more clarifying question about mm -hmm. .org. Um, so the work of the charitable arm is funded by, uh, well, is it Google or is it Alphabet or whoever, but it's not an endowed charity that's working off a finite set of resources. You get investment from the parent company one way, shape, or form on an ongoing basis. That's right. It's an ongoing commitment. Um, we do not have a Google Foundation anymore. We did at one point in time, but now we're completely funded by Google, which is obviously a subsidiary of Alphabet. Um, but we sit within uh, the Google part of the company, and we report up through the head of uh, global affairs, uh, Kent Walker, who's our senior vice president. So uh, we are embedded inside of Google. OK. So with that framework, I think good to understand uh, there are skills and ideas and things that sort of make Google what Google is, and trying mm -hmm. to then leverage that into the philanthropic world and see where's the best way for you to contribute, because there's lots and lots of needs out there. Mm -hmm. You have to decide on how do we focus what that is. Um, what's the process internally to decide what is it to look for uh, areas where you think uh, an investment from Google is going to really make a difference? Yeah, well, as I mentioned, we always are striving to do more than just the money, right? We want to be able to leverage the best of the company, which is also the company's products and the company's people. So when we're looking at topics to invest in, we're typically trying to find, one, topics that are complex human challenges and pressing needs in society, but two, uh, problems that we can contribute with our financial resources, but also with our people and products. So maybe one example of that would be the very Institute of Justice we started a criminal justice initiative several years ago, and Bear Institute came to us with some very preliminary data that was showing that incarceration in rural communities was actually growing significantly faster uh, than the rest of the country. And while in urban areas where people typically 
uh, think about incarceration growing, it's actually declining. And so there was this emerging story about the rise of incarceration in rural communities, but the challenge was that the jails exist at the county level. And so there's thousands of county jails across the country, uh, and we didn't, we don't have much transparency into those jail populations on a daily basis and what the trends are. And so we gave a very institute a five million dollar grant. Uh, to expand their footprint and research and data science to try to understand these trends, but we also sent them Google engineers for six months. And so those Google engineers embedded inside Avira and they started writing scripts to be able to automatically scrape the data down, which exists in all kinds of different forms, PDFs, websites, a real diversity of ways that local county jails uh, upload their data. And with that support, they've been able to get to a point where uh, almost a thousand of these rural jails have real-time data coming into Vera's system, and we have much, a much more complete picture of what rural incarceration in the country looks like. And we have fact and found that some of that preliminary data has been playing out, and that incarceration is growing a lot faster in those rural communities. So I think that's maybe just one example of where we're looking out, trying to figure out, you know, where can our products and our people and our philanthropy intersect to solve some really complex societal challenges. So, Justin, does that one come in kind of under an impact challenge differently from these ongoing areas of economic uh, opportunity or inclusion work, or is this kind of part of the inclusion work, or how does something like that fit into the framework? Yeah, that's part of the inclusion work. Um, we have a commitment to, uh, particularly for people who are experiencing social marginalization in society and economic marginalization, to try to um, find ways to help empower them and, and give them opportunity. The impact challenge model is unique in that we, it is the only competition or mechanism inside of google.org where we have an open call where people can actually apply for grants. Everything else is invite only. So our criminal justice work has mostly been invite only grants on topics that google.org identifies. But impact challenges are exciting because when we're entering into a brand new topic or sometimes when we're expanding our physical footprint in a region, we oftentimes will open it up for an open call and issue a challenge and um, either on a topic that, that could be globally, we just completed an artificial intelligence social impact challenge that was global um, or something like in the Bay Area where we just launched a $10 million impact challenge just for local nonprofits in the Bay Area to submit their sort of innovative ideas. But that's the only open call mechanism that we use. And I, I want to get back to that impact challenge one in a moment, but I think it's worth exploring the other areas where uh, you're using your own technologies and ideas about how do we find those partners and things that we feel we can really contribute to um, mm -hmm. so that it's not an, an open call. You you invite partners. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I just you know, have this in my head of, you know, Monday morning, a group of people sit around and go, well, let's Google up this problem and see what we find. I mean, how, how do you make that decision about, we think this partner, I mean, you, you gave one good example of somebody you found, but how did you find them uh, in, in the sea of potential folks that are working in the inclusion space that uh, could benefit from all of that, not only the financial resource piece of it, but as you mentioned, bringing the engineering talent to help solve that problem of varying places and ways that data gets presented? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it probably looks a little different for every grant, but generally when we start out on a topic, we're going to talk to our peers and look at other funders who are like-minded. There's a lot of uh, new money in the philanthropic space, a lot of that being powered by uh, people who are actively involved in the tech industry or coming directly from 
technology companies. So we're oftentimes talking to our peers to kind of have our ear to the ground to see who's out there. Once we've established in, in a topic, we'll also leverage our current network of grantees. So, you know, in the inclusion space, Brian Stevenson was one of the first people that I talked to. Um, this was actually before we had given him any grant support. And so in some cases, I'm, I'm going out in a conversation with a industry expert like Brian, who leads the Equal Justice Initiative uh, in Montgomery, Alabama. And I'm just saying, what do you think Google could do in this space? Where we could we add the most value? Where are there gaps? Where is there a, a need for more innovation, more scale, where Google resources, product, and people could really unlock potential? And so talking to those experts and you know, a lot of those folks like Brian are really gracious in giving us lists of people who they think are doing interesting things. And then uh, oftentimes we'll then proactively reach out to some of those organizations and just start having conversations. I mean, I can still, you know, remember my my first conversation, uh, you know, with Nick, who's the president of the Vera Institute and having lunch and just asking him, I mean, what are the projects that you sit around at a board meeting and say, wow, this project is so interesting and so ambitious, but who would fund this? Yeah. And I'm oftentimes asking, give me those ideas. Like those are the things we want to fund because we're often coming in with significantly sized grants, large grants that are able to unlock innovation in scale. And in that case, you know, Nick came to me and said, we've got this little project that we're doing around rural incarceration. We've got some preliminary data, but with significant support, we could beef up that team. You guys could help with engineering resources and it could really push the country forward because this story around incarceration is missing the rural narrative. Um, so, you know, in that specific example, that's how that one came through. But it is a little bit more art than science on the core grant making. And it looks like a little bit of crossover into the impact challenge, more open call thing too. And I wanted to ask you about a current um, application process that's going on in some areas, including in my home state of Minnesota, where I'm speaking from right now, there's a, a part of that more open call opportunity rather than the um, by invitation things, mm -hmm. um, slightly smaller dollar amounts than, you know, the 5 million thing, but still, you know, at $175,000 plus one of those grants will get another 125,000 based on some voting. Um, it's still a little bit of a fire hose for small organizations. You know, you can't really right. come in and say, you know, I've got 10 people and suddenly $300,000 is a pretty right. impactful thing. So, but that particular challenge, for example, is asking for those uh, open call inputs more about the economic opportunity piece, which is a little part of, or a, another part of what Google.org mm -hmm. focused on. So sometimes those opportunity, those uh, um, impact challenge things can kind of cross a little bit into your more established program giving. Is that a fair way of saying it? Yeah. I mean, there's two flavors of impact challenges. One is a local flavor, which is, you know, the impact challenge in Minnesota that you're referring to. And the other is a more topically focused one, which tends to be global. Although I guess in the case of Minnesota, we're both focused on a, a locality and specifically anchoring in a topic. But what we'll oftentimes do with those local impact challenges is when we're entering into a new community or we're expanding um, a, an office footprint, you know, we, we, we are oftentimes in the stance where we want to try to invite people in so we can see what ideas exist. So rather than us coming into Minnesota and saying, well, we already know what's best for Minnesota, you know, the truth is I don't have anybody on the Google.org team that sits in Minnesota. And so that's our opportunity to invite the community to tell us their ideas. 
And to your point, we'll oftentimes use those applications as a base of knowledge to understand what the trends are, you know, what are the new ideas, what are what app kinds of applications are we seeing? And so it's both helpful in that it allows us to put resources into local communities, uh, you know, where we live and work, but it also allows us to start to see some of the trends that might exist. So in the case of like the AI impact challenge, we're looking at global trends around artificial intelligence and how people are using it for good. And in the case of the local ones, we're trying to, uh, those are a little bit smaller dollar amounts, but to your point, those organizations tend to be smaller footprints. And so you can stretch those dollars much longer, but we're trying to find what are those local innovators up to? What's the flavor of the local community? Because a lot of the social needs are are really local and the context is very specific to, you know, the context and history of the community. So I think it's really important to be able to respect some of that local sentiment and have those communities tell us what they'd like us to be funding, at least as a start. Oftentimes what you'll see us do is, you know, start with an impact challenge. When I started in the in this role five years ago, you know, I, I came in and we ran an impact challenge in the Bay Area for the first time. and. We had over a thousand applications and it gave me like my first real flavor for all right what's happening in the bay area and we've since gone on to you know commit more than 200 million dollars of philanthropic grant making in the bay area and so we've given out a lot of money here but the impact challenges were anchored that very first kind of look to figure out what issues are kind of relevant for this community and uh, for folks that are listening a little bit later, of course, these challenges have deadlines and then additional things come on. So as we're recording this, this is still an open call. But if people are listening later, they might find out that there's another thing happening right now. Always good to just kind of keep in touch. Uh, on the website, I think to learn more about that. I actually heard about this first, you know, from my local partners. So it is those okay. networks of people saying, hey, there's this open thing happening. Not that I opened up a web browser, went to google.org and checked to see if That's there right. was something happening here, but rather, um, you know, it's a, as you point out, kind of a, a knit community here where when uh, a potential partner like Google wants to come in and see how they can contribute, you know, the word gets around pretty quickly, like, oh, this is a new thing. We don't do this all the time. Let's share that word. That's right. And in some instances, we'll also invite the public to vote on some of the ideas. So in the Bay Area, we're running a $10 million challenge right now. And we'll invite the public to vote. And we have, you know, Steph and Aisha Curry, who are obviously local heroes, but also the leads of other local foundations and social sector leaders who are going to be some of our judges. And then we'll open up to the community to vote on a people's choice award like who does the general public in the bay area of the finalists that the judges select uh who does the public think is most deserving and the last time we did this we had over four hundred thousand people vote so you know it's always a really fun moment in a community to see everybody rallying around their favorite ideas and um, the nonprofits being able to not only leverage the impact challenge for resources, but also a lot of public exposure, people who are finding about, out about their work for the first time. So it's a really fun thing to be a part of. Yeah, I noticed that in my locality that you publish a list of judges that are participating in helping to um, sort those things from you. So you get that local perspective on applications that may be coming in, in addition to that sort of people's choice opportunity. So uh, it's nice to be able to pull that website up and say, oh, yeah, I know all those people, actually. Right. Uh, they are very familiar names. They are people that have long history and uh, in this area. Um, there are also currently challenges running in um, other states, uh, Ohio, Georgia, Nevada. So there are right. uh, those, I assume, presumably similar folks would go in, look at their local challenge, go, oh yeah, I see who those people are. 
How do you, though, make decisions of uh, we're establishing this conversation with a newer community. We want to have that panel to help us uh, bring some uh, knowledge to the table. But, you know, there's seven million people in town. Who do we pick from? How do you decide? Yeah, oftentimes um, it's a mix of folks like we want to have some folks who are local heroes. So as I mentioned, you know, Stephanie Shakuri or also the other person on our Bay Area Impact Challenge, Ronnie Lott, who's the Hall of Fame, San Francisco 49er. And all of these people are really civically involved, right? So mm -hmm. not just that they have star power, but Stephanie Aisha re recently launched a new foundation called Eat, Learn, Play. So they're very active in the community and, and making philanthropic investments. Ronnie Lott has been in the community for decades doing uh, very similar work. And so part of it is like you want people who are, who are local heroes who will be able to help get the word out. I, I love that you sort of heard from the the grassroots buzz, just sort of the word coming through the network. That's part of the goal here is that can we find people who have that sort of buzzworthy potential in their local communities to be able to get the word out, whether that's through social media or just word of mouth. Um, that's definitely one goal. And then, you know, as you mentioned, you also want to have experts who really understand the local communities. I mean, in the Bay Area, we have the head of the Silicon Valley Community Foundation, the head of the Haas Junior Foundation. I mean, folks who have been in these communities for decades, you know, finding good ideas, funding uh, different nonprofits. And so you're trying to get that mix of, sort of local hero, um, folks who have really been on the ground. Um, and in some cases, we'll also reach out to folks who've been, you know, active um, in elected politics as well, and have really spent a lot of time in communities understanding what their constituents need and what the challenges are, uh, and we'll, it will engage some of those folks as well. So, you know, trying to find, find that right mix of, Folks, and it's always really fun to put those panels together, and it's really fun to facilitate their uh, sort of deliberations about which ideas should rise to the top and which ideas should we present for a public vote. Um, it's, a, it's actually a really fun process to do it. Well, it seems like it would be. And on the other side of those sort of larger challenges, though, I think good to take a moment to distinguish um, Google for Nonprofits um, as a, an ongoing commitment to uh, supporting charitable work in communities versus what Google.org is doing in kind of pushing different things out. So um, as a fairly heavy user across several different charities of Google for Nonprofits, yeah. do you run into that sometimes with people going, wait a minute, is that a you know, a grant application program versus, you know, the impact challenge kind of thing. Uh, how do you talk about the kind of ongoing support that Google for Nonprofit provides to almost any qualified comer versus these things that are a little bit more issue specific? Yeah, we love the Google for Nonprofits team. They're obviously a, a product focused team and managed through a different vertical inside Google, but do really complementary work. It does get tricky sometimes because people confuse Google.org and Google for Nonprofits. It usually gets trickiest when somebody is listed on their website that they're a google.org grantee and mm. some publications trying to confirm that they are and i've never heard of the organization it turns out they're a beneficiary of google for nonprofits and just confuse google.org for google for nonprofits but i mean obviously google for nonprofits offers g suite for free to nonprofits and you know the ad grants program is an incredible benefit where you get ten thousand dollars a month in uh, google adwords support and i know youtube and google maps and others um, have products on the Google for Nonprofits platform, and we do collaborate with them. Um, you know, they make a really proactive effort to make sure that our grantees, in particular at Google.org, are all aware of the opportunities and, um, you know, leveraging those to the best of their ability and to the extent that folks need technical assistance, uh, particularly with our grantees, they'll be helpful. And what I love about the model is that, you know, Google for Nonprofits is able to reach, you know, over 300,000 
nonprofits that service. And obviously, Google.org's footprint is much smaller. We probably reach on the order of hundreds of, of grantees directly through our grant making. And then uh, when you factor in all of the gift matching we do of employee gifts, um, we offer $6,000 for every non uh, Google employee to match their gifts to nonprofits. We probably reach you know, 20,000 plus nonprofits through that program. But the sort of core direct grant making that we're talking about today is, is a much smaller footprint. And it's really nice to be able to have a team like Google for Nonprofits at the company who's touching hundreds of thousands of nonprofits across the, the entire sector and having that kind of open doors is a really nice compliment. Yeah, no, I think so too. As a, somebody who has taken advantage of that particular tool much more often, of course, because that door, um, you know, the qualifications are, are pretty clear on the website. You, you go to google.com slash nonprofits, you just see you're qualified or you're not. And um, it's actually pretty easy to be qualified. You, you know, fill out this form, you make sure your TechSoup thing is lined up and, you know, boom, you've got access to this product suite that is really helpful. But that's a different thing from saying we're investing financial resources and, okay. and things in in a different problem in a different way and i think good to take a moment to clarify that because I, I do think that um many people do see the google for nonprofits and kind of think well that's the gift that that's what they do and maybe don't understand um these much bigger challenges and uh, trying to share that learning outside of those i think that's another thing that i'm really intrigued by when i look at your site is when you close a global ai challenge it's not just um, we did our good work, but rather here's how you can see what we've been learning from that and, and how that moves forward. So how do you talk about propagating the information once a particular challenge may have had its initial investment run, but that information still can grow and leverage and build? Yeah, I mean, obviously very consistent with uh, Google's mission statement to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. We're always talking about how can we disseminate the things that we're learning? How can we uh, do thought leadership? How can we share, especially those impact challenges, because we get so many ideas that come in and we just simply can't fund all of them. Um, we do collaborate uh, with other funders. Oftentimes we will uh, ask the nonprofits if they're okay with us sharing their applications uh, with other funders who, you know, we recognize, hey, maybe we can't fund this idea or this just missed the cut, but because we're out in the ecosystem of other funders, we know that this other funder would probably uh, love to invest in this idea. So we do some informal sharing, but, you know, to be completely candid with you, I think it's one of the things that we have, have sort of struggled and tried to challenge ourselves with in the last few years is how can we share out some of the things that we're learning even more? And I think it's, you know, one of these challenges in philanthropy, we're a relatively small team. There's about 30 of us in Google.org to cover the global portfolio. And that's, you know, $250 million in a lot of different programs and grants. And, you know, how do you find the time and the day to be able to, you know, step back, take a breath and share everything you're learning? So you know, certainly appreciate opportunities like this to go, you know, on your podcast and, and share a little bit of that. But you know, definitely looking for more opportunities to be able to share with the world all the interesting things we're learning because we do have a pretty unique vantage point and it's and we're learning a lot and trying to find opportunities to share that out well i one of the ones that i was reading about ahead of our conversation is the um a grant about the, in the inclusion category working with this uh, gina davis project um, mm -hmm. and again it's it, to me it was such an uh, indicative way of thinking about um, what do you know about Google? And then that organizing information thing is, uh, it was sort of a similar problem what you were describing with rural prison populations mm -hmm. and incarceration of 
there's a lot of information we don't know yet, and we would probably have better solutions to problems if we had more complete information. But um, was that one of those things where uh, that was an invitation process to collaborate with them on looking at their needs and, and how they share their story? Because I think one of the things that somebody like Gina Davis can bring to the table is that ability to share the findings more. She's got a, a lot uh, different reach than than the Google.org reach. It's when you've got these separate audiences being reached that you know you're just amplifying things all together. So is that part of the process of making a decision like, here's somebody that we've got this data insight, they need this help. Um, is, is disseminating information about it part of that decision-making process? Yeah, I mean, we certainly like to work on data science projects when we can. I think it leverages, again, going back to that, those projects where you're not able to just give money because, you know, there's a lot of companies with money and resources, and we know that nonprofits in the sector need those. I mean, I spent five years at Year Up, which is a job training nonprofit before I came to Google. So I've been on the other side of the table and understand the importance of, of resources. But you also, as a company, really want to think about how to leverage the full suite of what you can bring to the table. And Gene Davis Institute is a great example of one where, you know, obviously we invested a lot of resources, but we also have a lot of data science expertise and capacity, and that project really speaks to us. And, you know, we created a, a Google.org fellowships program about a year ago, and, you know, it was our first time that we really tried to organize this skill-based volunteering with our technical teams inside Google and giving them an opportunity to boomerang out of a core engineering team for a period of three to six months and spend time inside these nonprofits. And as you can imagine, we have some of the most talented engineers in the world. And they're very busy working on, you know, Google has nine products that reach more than a billion users. So they're, they're, they're really talented, but they're also really busy. Uh, and it's been really special to be able to create this fellowships program because what we're finding is that a lot of those engineers would love to take a three to six month boomerang assignment to come and help a project like the Gina Davis Institute or the Center for Policing Equity or the Family Independence Initiative or any of these organizations who are struggling with data science problems. And I know that you know, when I was working at Year Up, we didn't have any full time folks who had the data science capacity. We didn't have an R&D budget you know, on our line item. And you know, Google spends billions of dollars every year in R&D. So you know, how can we enable the nonprofits that we're working with to have some semblance of an R&D function? And part of that is us lending out some of our employee capacity. And some of that is making sure that we're, you know, making large, uh, you know, with grants with a long um, sort of life cycle to be able to give nonprofits the leeway to do some of that R&D work that otherwise just isn't possible. So certainly excited to be able to do that. Well, I think you've really identified some interesting pieces about what you're bringing to the table here that is uh, uh a consistent challenge within the nonprofit sector is, uh, you know, evaluation based on data moving forward versus, you know, we think this is the right way to go. Um, mm -hmm. So therefore, we're just going to spend every dime we can put together doing it rather than um, figuring out, yes, a lot of money goes into doing it, but then some has to evaluate um, what's the actual impact that we can see and is that scalable elsewhere and how do we share that learning with other organizations and um, having that access to that fellowship program idea uh, certainly seems something that would put many of the folks I've talked with in you know, a very excited position. I assume that too is an invite only or is that part of an impact challenge or how does the fellowship decision get made? Yeah, we do those exclusively, at least for now, with Google.org grantees. I mean, it's one of the most time intensive things that Google.org does. It's 
highly complex to work with managers to be able to get the engineers to boomerang off their teams and then to pull a group of engineers together who are you know coming from you know all these different google products and weave them together and you know create clear scopes and then one of the real challenges too is making sure that whatever project we're working on we're leaving behind something that can be sustained um, you know, it would be easy for the Google engineers to go in and create a really complex product that, you know, it would take a Google engineer to be able to sustain. And the truth is, we know a lot of nonprofits don't have the sort of resources to be able to attract and, and retain that kind of talent. And so, you know, it is a pretty complex process. So we have a limited bandwidth to be able to, to do these. So we currently offer them um, for Google.org grantees and in some cases, impact challenge uh, winners as well, but it is invite only in the sense that we're only offering it to a subset of Google.org grantees who are working on technically complex challenges that we feel like would lend themselves well to Google engineering support. And, you know, in your own uh, taking your own medicine kind of thing, uh, I assume you'll evaluate the impact of having those folks out there and deciding, is that something we can invest in differently? Does that change in the future? If this is only a year or so in the making, there may be some learning about um, what does that mean, not just for the Google.org grantees, but for, you know, Google to have to um, shift resources like that. That's right. And we're, and we're, it's kind of fun right now. We're in the phase of like trying lots of different approaches. I mean, I mentioned like the three to six month model, but we're also experimenting with like week long design sprints. Like, does it add a lot of value to bring in a nonprofit executive team to Google and have them spend just like a, an intense week workshopping like a single problem? And you know, this is what Google teams do all the time. And we had these internal sprint teams that will facilitate these design sprints and help you identify a user challenge and walk you through the user journey and lots of sticky notes on the walls and everything. And so we're, we're kind of actively experimenting with lots of different approaches to figure out uh, what could be most effective, what can really uh, create lasting impact with the nonprofits. And it'll be fun in the next year or two, because I think you're going to start to see some of these impact stories come out. I mean, I'm talking a lot about the very Institute of Justice and the Rural uh, Prisons Project, just because it's fresh and I just met with a team last week and they were showing me uh, kind of the emerging impact story. And what's really exciting is that some of these impact stories are just now gonna start to come out about you know, the impact that the, that the engineering work has had uh, alongside, the, alongside the grant resources. So excited to tell those stories and, and certainly trying different models and measuring what works and getting feedback from our partners. And in, in a lot of cases, the nonprofits tell us that you know, as valuable as, as that grant money is, it's crucial. Uh, you know, a, a Google engineer is almost just as valuable as a million dollars. I mean, it's yeah. it's such a hard, that's a very hard resource to be able to tap into uh, if, you, if you don't have direct access like that. So it's fun to be able to unlock that for folks. And you have had some of these, um, you know, published results kind of information a little bit longer out there. The, the Center for Policing Equity you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, you know, $5 million cash investment is pretty substantial, but um, it it does raise the question of um, when charitable decisions get made by organizations, you know, sometimes they um, look to shy away from the lightning rod a little bit, like, you know, what's the backlash? And, you know, touching this question of equity and policing is mm -hmm. a controversial one that some other funders may go, boy, um, we're not exactly certain what all that data is going to tell us, but it's probably going to uh, generate some pretty intense feelings on both sides of this thing. Um, how do you uh, make the decision like there's so much to learn there, there's so much to share, we'll just take whatever hits us from you know the outcome? Because you don't know the outcome until you do the work, right? That's right. And I think one of the great things about Center for Policing Equity 
is that they work in a really collaborative way with police departments. So this is actually police chiefs inviting Dr. Phil Goff and his team into their departments to say, we want to understand our data better. We want to understand how to do policing better because most police want to do their jobs uh, to the maximal ability and be able to have good relationships with community and com keep community safe. I mean, that's the goal. And so when we met the Center for Policing Equity, we similarly thought, well, you know, this in some in some circles could be a, a polarizing topic, but the way in which they're doing it is so collaborative and, and being invited into the departments, and it's so consistent with our mission. I mean, if we're going to you know organize the world's information, particularly in policing and criminal justice, that information that helps us improve those systems is locked in fifteen thousand different police departments spread across the country. And so, how do you start to get access to that information and then make it actionable and useful? just feels like that's exactly what Google's mission is created to do. But obviously we want to do it in a collaborative way. We don't want to you know, go in and, and sort of force the hands of police chiefs. And so the fact that this was a collaborative effort invited in and they've seen tremendous results. And you know, I'm super proud of Center for Police Inequity. They, they won the TED Audacious Prize recently. So they've got tens of millions of dollars of new kind of investment and a great TED talk now out on the web. And they're seeing really strong results and being able to improve relationships between community and police departments and it's reducing use of force, it's reducing, um, you know, tensions with the community. So, you know, th that's one of those projects where we also had Google engineers uh, come in and help design the actual tool. There were some technical challenges around geolocation, tagging in the incidents in the database and being able to efficiently uh, work through, because oftentimes these departments download you know, millions of lines of data, and it was taking Center for Policing Equity in some cases months to process and tagging and, you know, inconsistent nomenclature and all the rest. And the Google engineers have been able to get that down to just a matter of days now with some of the engineering that they've done. So it's really fun to be able to see, you know, the information flowing through, insights being generated, police chiefs having actionable data to make uh, good decisions around. It's it's the best part of our job watching that happen. Yeah. And not to wade too far into the controversy because we certainly could, but I, I think that one of the challenges in something like that is a lot of that information that the some members of the public, uh, you know, me, for example, would like to see is not public. Some of that data that you want isn't something that can be scraped or easily accessed. So yeah. working with what is available and acknowledging that's different locality to locality or, you know, area to area has got to be a particularly different, difficult challenge in structuring. How do you know what the learnings are saying if you're not exactly getting apples to apples in most of these situations? That's right. I mean, that's why, you know, Dr. Goff's team has to have criminologists on staff who understand how to, you know, code incidents and uh, and do and do all of that. But, you know, what else is interesting is that they used our grant funding to generate new data as well. So they instituted oh a community-based survey to be able to understand sort of trust and relationship with police. And then they can correlate that data back to some of the, uh, what they're seeing in terms of, you know, use of force and police stops and things like that, and start to generate insights around, uh, you know, where community trust is the lowest, uh, you know, unsurprisingly, uh, you often see some of the disparities in terms of uh, use of force and stops and things like that. And so, you know, introducing new data and, 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 and using the existing data that exists. And you're right, sometimes that data actually only exists within the department. And so you've got to really build a sense of trust and collaboration for the departments to be willing to let Center for Policing Equity, you know, ingest that data and, and analyze it and kick it back to the teams to be able to 
to drive insights. But you know, that's when we're when we're doing our best work. That's the type of thing that we're doing. Well, that's a really interesting example of that sort of you know Google Juice solution to the problem of uh, you know if we don't have access to all the data we want, can we create more data? <laughs> Is there Absolutely. a way? To, and I'm wondering, did, did your partner come to you with that as a part of it, or do you happen to know? Um, and maybe we're getting a little deep in the weeds in this particular example, but uh, did they say maybe we should be doing more of these community-based surveys, or did somebody else in the data science world go? If we don't have great data yet, how do we collect something that isn't readily accessible? I'm, I'm just curious no, about how that one worked out. Well, and I, you know, I love this project, so I'm happy to I'm happy to go <laughs> okay. deep on it. <laughs> um, it's a little bit of both, honestly. I mean, I had the same conversation I mentioned earlier uh, with the Vera Institute, Center for Policing Equity, and I said, you know, when you, when you all sit around and talk about, man, what if, you know, what if we could do X, Y, Z, but we just don't have the resources or the engineering support to do so. And one of the things they came back with when I asked them very early on as we were scoping the grant, you know, what would that thing be? If we if we gave you five million dollars, what would that thing be? And they said, more data. I mean, yeah. we want to be able, we want to we need engineering support to help us uh, clean up the tools to analyze the data because right now it's taking months for us to be able to turn a report around for these police departments. So that's the technical challenge. But we also would really love to pioneer some community surveys to be able to, you know, generate more insight. But we also had other partners of ours who we were talking to um, who were similarly pointing to the need for community data. I mean, there's an organization out in Oakland called Live Three that does Live Free that does these ceasefire programs, uh, you know, trying to help relationships with police and community and was pointing to that uh, as a gap. We were also talking to um, you know, the Council on Civil and Human Rights, uh, who is similarly uh, pointing to uh, the need for more data uh, on sort of community relationships. So we were hearing that theme from some of our other partners. And then when I said, hey, dream big, what could you do with a multi-million dollar grant that uh, you, you kind of felt like you haven't been able to do? And they said, more data community surveys. I said, yes, do that. That sounds that sounds that sounds exactly what's what we're hearing and consistent. So it's exciting to see them be able to do that. So we're starting to run a little low on time, and I want to um, recognize all of the work that's been done, the current challenges. But um, there's, you know, Google is not static. You you don't you know mm -hmm. stay just in the 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 space of today, um, what what might be coming down the line? Well, it's the process to decide if at some point there might need, need to be a different um, focus area or, um, you know, all, all those things responsive. How do you stay as nimble as, as you'd like to stay? Yeah, well, I mean, we mentioned the AI impact challenge earlier. So we ran that competition, uh, you know, earlier this year and had a ton of amazing ideas, things like you know, natural disaster predictions, flood prediction modeling, um, you know, projects around um, health and human services, trying to, uh, you know, improve first responder, uh, you know, data, things like that. And so we've got a lot, of, we're sitting on a lot of really amazing ideas around how nonprofits are leveraging artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, to be able to solve complex human challenges. So I think you're, you're certainly going to see us uh, continue to invest in that and that model of you know, learning uh, and listening through an impact challenge and then uh, going forward and trying to uh, you know do some invite only grants and and drive that field forward i think in the us we're also talking a lot more about small and medium-sized businesses and 
you know, Google has a lot of tools that really benefit um, SMBs and mm -hmm. helping them get their businesses online and uh, market their products, but really thinking about um, underserved small business owners and how we can improve their access to capital and improve their um, access to high quality training as well. So that's an emerging conversation. So those are the so those are two of the topics that we we're talking a lot about right now where we, we have some nascent investments, but I think you're gonna see us do a lot more in 2020. Yeah, that's interesting to hear you say about the um, more location-based businesses in particular, because I think, you know, people hear the word Google and often will think of, you know, search data, those sorts of things. But um, the impact that the mapping tool has had on you know, my life as an individual in my decisions about what businesses do I patronize? How do I find them? Uh, you know, it really, in a fairly short period of time, has shifted that conversation pretty dramatically. So as, as part of a cultural shift in how we find and access businesses and communities around us, that particular part of what you do has really got to um, be a little bit more disproportionate in impact, I would think, than than just search. Absolutely. The MAPS product for small businesses is huge, and there's just so many products that are deeply helpful to small businesses, and I think that story probably isn't told as much as uh, as we probably should tell it, and I think you know, consistent with this whole conversation as we're trying to figure out you know, what new topics could we look out on the landscape and potentially invest in is Google.org. You're seeing Google do incredibly helpful things for small businesses through its core products. So there's a clear role for the company to do something more than uh, the money, but then we're also recognizing that there's, you know, um, you know, gaps to accessing capital that uh, suggests that there's some inequity in the space and things that we could do yeah through google.org to close those gaps. And, and some of the stories that, uh, you know, come out of uh, small, medium-sized businesses, the way they leverage YouTube or the way they leverage Google Maps or the way they leverage search uh, and advertising is just like so heart-touching and inspiring that uh, I'm really excited to work on that in 2020. I think we're gonna be able to get into a lot of communities and do a lot of really uplifting work to tell the stories of these small business owners and, and give more people access to that kind of American dream of small business ownership. So super excited for that. And I think an important thing to kind of close on about the nonprofit relationship is, you know, that MAPS tool is, um, you know, part of the Google for Nonprofits okay. uh, um, offering that is available. And I think highly underutilized from what I've seen for people that are location-based um, folks. And, and it works a little differently for people that are more, you know, virtual service organizations or whatever. But for people that have those physical locations that are doing outreach, that are trying to reach community, um, I think understanding what Google has put on the table for those nonprofits to just take advantage of without waiting for a grant to, you know, be available or an impact challenge to come to the area um, is a uh, it's it's almost on par with uh, the the Google grants in the ads category, where uh, I, I think again an underutilized tool in a lot of cases. But that maps one, uh, there's so much to learn and and so much more we could probably talk about. But we are <laughs> really running out of time. So right. I'm going to just say, is there uh, uh, one last question for you? Is is there a question I really should have asked you by now that I haven't gotten to? Oh, that's a good question. Um... Maybe about a failure, you know, I think one of the things that we oftentimes talk about it at Google is, you know, failing fast and and learning from failures. And, it, you know, it's very interesting, you know, working at Google, a lot of the executives will, will ask me, it's great to hear all of these success stories about all of the things that have been going so swimmingly well, but 
you know, what are some examples of things where, you know, you're, you're, you're learning things that aren't actually working and, um, you know, are, are failing. So, you know, maybe just like reflecting on some of the grants that haven't worked out. And I think, you know, we've done some interesting ones where, you know, conceivably really interesting bets, but, you know, learned over time that there wasn't a model there. Like we, we invested in, in very early on, we've done a lot of homelessness work in San Francisco, for instance, it's a real challenge around our, our offices here. And we invested in a, in a model called Hand Up that was like a crowdsourced uh, platform where you could kind of do almost cash transfers directly to homeless individuals on the street. It was facilitated through social service networks, um, but essentially people being able to uh, fund, you know, uh, homeless individuals directly for some of their um, most pressing needs. And, uh, you know, we funded the platform. It was it was f formatted as a B Corp, actually, so not, not a traditional nonprofit, but had for-profit investing. And I think, uh, you know, in the end, that was part of the challenge is they weren't able to get to a financially sustainable model where they could sort of self-sustain without philanthropy. And given that they were structured as a B Corp, they ended up actually giving that program over to a nonprofit in the Midwest to sort of run. But we've had some interesting examples of, um, you know, bets that we've taken that just haven't panned out in organizations that have ended up, um, you know, shuttering down. And, and in a lot of cases, we learn more from, uh, you know, those stories than we do from um, all of the successes. So it's something that we really challenge ourselves to make sure that we're kind of staying risky enough that we might actually have some investments that don't work out. That is a really wonderful way of just adding some transparency to the end of the conversation. Just acknowledge that uh, we're all learning, we're all trying, and you know that that learning of things that don't have that success story can be more insightful. So. Okay. Great. Well, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to share all this information. Justin Steele is the uh, head of the Americas for Google.org. Justin, thanks so much for taking the time. No, thank you. This has been really wonderful talking about some of our favorite topics. We could talk for days. So it's been great talking with you.